In view of many perplexities within and without our beings, it is now in order to inquire, what do we know about our expectations? As we have advanced from childhood to maturity, there has been an ever unfolding of new discoveries in the interactions and reactions of our beings and in the world of nature and individuals with whom we come in contact. We cannot help but be struck by the overwhelming inconsistencies of the overall picture of life. On the one hand, we are impressed and amazed by the mysteries of intelligence and design that pervades our whole realm of consciousness. On the other hand, with great blots of darkness that continually spoils the idealism that our minds have built up as we have contemplated the works of God. On every hand, things are far short of what they ought to be, it appears. Our inner personalities have been endowed with such wonderful traits, but they are marred with guilt, fear, and inner distortions. We join with the Apostle Paul as he expressed his observations upon his own inner life. When I would do good, he said, evil is present with me. Why should our minds stoop to such low occupations when they were groomed to such high activity? Why should our emotional life clamor for those things which disturb our conscience when it should be tuned to the wavelength of love and glory of God? Why should our wills be cowed into choosing these corrupt indulgences when they ought to assert their independence and sovereignty in our personal lives? Why should our consciences take on the character of the frown when there might have been such conduct as to invite their smile? Why should our bodies always be slowed down and limited by pain when they should have a full-orbed activity? When knowledge and wisdom have multiplied themselves and great things could be accomplished, why should there be such a thing as death to call a halt to the scenes of earth? When there should be such reactive happiness with our fellow men, why should this be marred by hatred and evil? Why should a nature clothed in all beauty have so many limitations and often violently act up against us? Why should creatures of all sorts seek to extract their toll from us in one way or another? These and multitudes more are the gloomy pictures painted in our subconscious minds which we hardly dare think upon and bring out into the openness of plain consideration. From the deep recesses of our souls, therefore, comes the cry of the psalmist, Give me understanding, and I shall live. In the 119th Psalm, verse 144. In the first place, we are surrounded by such a maze of evidence on every hand of the goodness, kindness, and wisdom of God that a grand expectation builds up within us that such a God will reveal more knowledge and understanding as to the great problems that we have been thinking about. We long to know more about the nature of God 
and what his great analysis of our whole situation is. We long to know more as to how the whole realm of things, which seems so perfect, could become so marred and confused. And we certainly expect that such a God will not leave us to grope about in mental darkness without somehow making known the whys and the wherefores of things as we find them. We believe that God possesses this knowledge and that he is able to communicate it to us. God certainly would not create things and beings so profound and unmeasurable and then go off and let it run itself off like a great clock. We have great evidence of God's abounding and constant care and thus every expectation to look to God. The writer of the 81st Psalm was reminded of the infant birds whose wide open mouths peered up from the nests as he thought upon the spiritual needs of man. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it is what he pictures the Lord as saying to man. What form may we expect this impartation of knowledge to take? We must have this information imparted to us in some concrete form that all can have recourse to it. It must be a written record so that all may look and read. It must be accurate and dependable. Thus it must be an inerrant record. It must contain truth which is from God and therefore a grand series of revelations must take place to impart this truth. There must be human agents involved since it is to be transcribed into the language of men. These human agents must have a humble and worthy attitude so that they can be trusted with so great a treasure. There must be a succession of worthy individuals to preserve the record once it has been imparted. So some sort of organized group would have to be gathered to perpetuate this knowledge. Thus we have the groundwork for the giving of the Bible as we know it, which the anvils of time have demonstrated to be the Word of God. God does call upon man to open his mouth expectantly toward himself, to receive truth, and he shall be filled. We have then the expected pattern, the call of worthy individuals to special privilege, the plan to gather these dependable folk together into a group, the revelation or impartation of truth by miraculous intervention, the inspiration and guidance to produce a record that would give to all seekers a correct representation of the truth of God revealed, and finally, the patience and carefulness to preserve the record for future use. Businesses go to a great deal of expense to provide proper instructions in the proper use of their product. When a firm sells a product, they are duty-bound to see that the purchaser obtains a satisfactory life and usefulness from his purchase. In addition to duty, it is just good business to do this. A satisfied customer is the very best advertisement. While there commonly is some verbal instruction, there is usually always some kind of a printed booklet furnished for the new owner to read and use. 
Elaborate machines thus have very complete instruction manuals with pictures and illustrations. A large army tractor had a book about an inch thick that went along with it. It had to be a detailed and clear enough presentation so that ordinary soldiers could take care of the machine. How much effort and labor was put into this work? There had to be enough photographs to show how the inside structure was put together. Now if the machines that man creates, such care is taken to inform the new owners how to get the full usefulness out of them, shall we expect less from the great and good God? What machine that man has ever designed is as complicated as our human bodies? But above all, what could compare with the value of man's inner constitution and the delicate functions and reactions that take place there? We have every reason to believe, therefore, that God would give us an authoritative statement of fact concerning the conduct of our lives, and thus the giving of a Bible is exactly reasonable. But if from the complicated nature of our beings we would expect a written revelation, so much the more do we look for this in view of the tragedies that on every hand have astonished us. Thus our confusion of life is a double reason why God is duty-bound to impart to us the why of it all. But further, we are subjects of a vast moral government which involves the responsibilities of its members. Government must be founded on regulations, and they must be spread before all. Overwhelmingly, then, we expect such a book as our Bible, and God in his justice and love have not disappointed us. God has answered the psalmist's prayer, Give me understanding and I shall live. He has called forth worthy individuals. He has revealed the inner secrets to those who were of such a humble character that they could respond to his tenderness and his intimacy. He has caused to be recorded the wonderful truths that pertain to our lives. He has caused to have an account given to us of how the situation came to be as it is and who is responsible for the tragedies that face us on every hand. He has sought to give us an account of his own responsibility on how he is above blame in all the tragedies that disturb us and upset us. Yes, God has given us this revelation of truth. How can we thank God enough for the Bible? How can we thank God enough for its logic, its clear-cut explanations, and above all for his promises? How can we thank God enough for the glorious plan of salvation that's revealed therein? that God in his profound wisdom has spoken forth, and God in his tender love has been moved with compassion. How thankful we ought to be that God has answered our expectations and has given us the glorious light of his truth, has given us an expression of law 
which is merely a description of how man can be happy with God and happy with himself. And above all, how we thank God for the glorious gospel of Christ that's revealed in the precious word of God. Yes, God has met our expectations just as we would suppose and far more than we would ever expect. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, receive abundant thanks that thou hast not left us as a human race to find the solution to these problems ourselves. But thou hast given us a glorious account of thyself and thy great being. Thou hast revealed to us how thou dost feel toward man and how he has been made the center of creation and how disappointed thou hast been toward man as man has turned away from proper respect with thee. Receive thanks, therefore. Help us to inquire as to the meaning of thy precious word. And now may many turn to thee in the day of salvation by repentance and faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.